0: to the reading of God's Word. So we're in Titus, Titus chapter 2 this morning. Just one other announcement just to remind you, um, if you want to be part of the choir for Harvest, um, then you need to sign up today at the latest, okay, because all the information is going to be going out tomorrow. So if you want to be part of the choir, today's your last day to sign up and you do that online on the website, okay. So we're in Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through to 8. As we said, Titus is quite a small book, so it's easy to, to lose a place of where it is. So if you find Timothy, again a very small book, so if you find them, you're doing well. And then it's just after that, and before Philemon and Hebrews, Titus chapter two. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self controlled, and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled and pure, to be busy at home If you have your Bible, then please open it in Titus. Titus chapter 2 is where we're going to be working our way through my preparation. I've been using the ESV, so if you're working with the NIV or some other version, it might look slightly different, but I'll hopefully help you understand why. Let me pray and ask God to help us. Father, your word is the light that we need in our lives, and so we pray now that you would help us to see what it is that you're saying through your word. Would it shine brightly into our hearts to transform us, to change us, to make us more like Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll not lie, I was actually shocked. It was summer of 2020. It was the first lockdown. Uh, I wasn't able to, to go on placement in a church as part of my Ministry training that would normally have happened, Um, and so in order to use our time well, college gave us some tasks. Okay, they didn't want us to fritter away the time in the garden, enjoying the sunshine, and so we were given some uh, things that we had to work through. Sixteen tasks in total. Okay, some of them were reading books. Okay, you could probably have guessed that one was going to come. Some of them were watching movies. Okay, and trying to imagine that you were trying to provide pastoral care in the situation in the movie now. That transforms movie watching. Okay, so if if you enjoy watching movies, try to think if this person in this situation was in my church, how would I walk alongside them in whatever they're going through? Obviously, if it's about aliens and different things like that, it's probably not going to really work. But uh, okay, but one of the other things that we had to do was this: we had to listen to some church services that were being broadcast online, and we had to evaluate them. Okay. And to make it more interesting, we couldn't just stick with churches that were like our own, okay? So I, I wasn't allowed to just uh, follow lots of pretty conservative Presbyterian churches and just see something similar to what you're getting here. No, we, we were supposed to diverge a little, okay? And um, well, you didn't even have to stick to it on <laughs> Because it was online, you could travel the world. And so I did. I traveled the world. And some of the, the, the churches that I listened to were great. Others, not so great. I was honestly shocked because for some of the church services that I watched online, they were incredibly popular. There were thousands upon thousands of others who were watching them. The views were high. Christian friends were watching them and sharing them and encouraging people to to watch them. The production level was, oh, it it was really, really good. I don't know how much that must have cost. But sometimes the teaching actually shocked me. Sometimes I was shocked because it really lacked any depth, any real meat at all. Sometimes no one ever read from the Bible. I mean, if you, if you go to church and they don't read from the Bible, something is seriously wrong, okay? Something is seriously wrong. Some of it just sounded like Christian words that the, the, the preacher was using, but it was a bit like, it was a bit like what we see at the end of chapter 1 in Titus. They were empty words. And whenever you got to the end of a service and you thought to yourself, what were they really trying to say there? You kind of got to the conclusion that there was nothing of any weight, nothing of any value. Sometimes I was shocked because what was really popular among evangelical Christians and churches that we respect was that they had moved. They had moved into a prosperity gospel, a message of health and wealth and prosperity. If you follow Jesus, then this is what life will look like. And as I listened to a couple of these services, again, the whole thing just felt so empty. You got to the end and you thought, is that, is that really what, what we're telling people? The preaching didn't leave you with the truth. Rather, they had taken God's word. Yes, they had read it, but then they'd, they'd put it right down low and they'd, they'd walked all over it. And what they'd said hadn't really matched what the text said at all. It was empty talk and deception. And we live in a world that really isn't that dissimilar to the world in which Titus was in. The world in which Paul was writing to Titus in. So what was Paul's advice to Titus? When false teaching is taking place, when whole families are being led astray, what was it that Paul said to Titus he should do in this situation? Chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Oh, it's easy to get sucked in, isn't it? It's easy to keep watching YouTube link after YouTube link. So easy to, to watch on and say, "Well, they've completely misunderstood what the text is saying," and they keep getting more angry and more angry. But that's not what Paul says Titus is to do. No, rather Titus is to do the work of any good minister. He's to do the the, the work of any good pastor. Titus, in great contrast to the empty talkers and deceivers of chapter one, is to give himself to teaching what accords with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is really just another way of saying good, healthy teaching, correct teaching, following what the Bible actually says. And through this correct teaching and obedience in it, you will will flourish and you will grow in godliness, and you'll become more Christ-like, and you will produce much good fruit, this is a, a message to ministers. But it's also a message that the congregation needs to hear. How was Titus to combat false teaching? Well, he was to get the congregation so familiar with the real deal that whenever the fake news, the fake, the fake preaching came up, they spotted it straight away. Do you see that? Verse 1, but as for you, teach, teach, teach. This is the command that Titus receives from Paul. And the word translated teach here literally means to to speak or to say. And so that is a really key part of a minister's role. Sometimes ministers can get a bad press. People think that they only work on a Sunday morning and maybe Sunday evening too if they have, have an evening service. They assume that maybe you lie about with your feet up and rarely get up out of bed the rest of the week. Hopefully that's not the impression that we give you here but actually a, a big chunk of the minister's week should be spent in study. It should be spent in study because one of the key roles that they have is to speak, and they have to speak and teach sound doctrine. And the way that comes about, obviously the, the work of the Holy Spirit, but alongside that, how God seems to work is, is ordinarily through hard work of his servants. In 2 Timothy 2.15, we see Paul telling Timothy to be like a Workman, rightly handling the word of God. If the word of God can be handled rightly, well, then it can also be handled wrongly. And so getting to grips with God's word, handling it rightly, ordinarily comes about through hard graft and labor. So one of the key responsibilities of any pastor is to spend time in the study, making sure that they have their heads in God's word, seeking God's help to understand the passage that they're preaching on, and then to write a sermon that says just that, to help the congregation. This is a message to ministers. It's a message to me. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Weary truth rather than empty talk. But what's the message to the congregation? What's the message to the congregation? Well, I think one of the applications Surely must be that when it comes to the sermon, we are supposed to tune in and really think about what's being said. Do you get that? You're supposed to tune in and really think about what's being said. We live in a consumer culture, don't we? We're all well used to being entertained and we're quick to switch channels whenever whatever we're watching doesn't quite make us feel whatever way we want to feel. If they don't give us what we want, well, then we just switch to something else. And if I'm honest... Some of the services that I watched during lockdown were very much pushing towards entertainment. Lots of entertainment, but very little sound doctrine. And we can be very tempted to encourage that sort of thing, can't we? Maybe you do it without realising. Over the Sunday lunch table, what's your usual critique? Is it that whoever was preaching was... A bit longer than you wanted, because you wanted something short. You wanted something simple. You just wanted something, just a, a quick, a quick message, and then let's move on. Rather than something, something weighty, something, something that would consider we would consider sound doctrine, a good meal. Yet we happily sit and watch YouTube for hours, don't we? Netflix. I mean, if that went on for, I don't know, thirty minutes of a Netflix, you'd be like, "Oh, this is." Oh, it's exhausting. How could I possibly watch Netflix for 30 minutes? It's not the case, is it? Not at all. Doctrine really matters because it's the foundation from which you will determine how you live. You need, I need, whoever's preaching to give us sound doctrine, not empty words. I wonder, have you really given much thought to that? One author really helpfully puts it like this. She, she says this, if we aren't intentional about where our hearts and minds are planted and watered, we can't expect to end up with a healthy crop. Bad doctrine, bad fruit. Good doctrine, good fruit. Maybe some of you are here, it's September, and maybe you're considering where to settle in terms of church. And some of you have been perhaps hopping around for months, maybe even years, maybe even many, many, many years and you just haven't found the church that fits. Well, can I urge you to to settle yourself in a church that takes sound doctrine seriously? One that when it comes to opening up the Bible, really holds that in a high place within its service and within the church. And if you find a church like that, maybe it's one that you could settle in. Our prayer is that this is the type of church that we have here, a church that, that works hard at teaching sound doctrine. Verse 2, what comes next after the foundation of sound doctrine? Well, Paul shows how sound doctrine is lived out within the church. And to do this, he really splits up the church into little target markets. (laughs) Firstly, I want us to see he splits up in terms of gender and age. So Paul's got a message for older men and younger men. He's a message for older women and younger women. And really how we've split up the passage... Uh, over the next couple of weeks, is actually I'm going to focus on what uh, Paul writes to the men here, and then Alistair's going to pick up next week, and he's going to look at what Paul writes to the ladies. But I don't want us to miss this. I want you to see that Paul recognizes that in a healthy church, there is a need for some single-sex discipleship. Do you spot that? The older woman are to teach the younger woman? Notice that Paul doesn't say to Titus, Titus, it's probably a good thing if you have lots of You know, one-on-one meetings with all of the young women. He doesn't say that because he knows that that would be a really unhelpful and unwise thing to do. That's not saying that there isn't occasions when, whenever uh, Titus would be absolutely meeting them, but as a regular small group thing, I, I don't think that is a pattern that is wise in church. So whether you're male or female really matters. Do you notice that as well? It really makes a difference as to how you live as a Christian, whether you're a man or a woman. And hence why Paul, when he's teaching, he separates men and women. We live in a world that thinks gender is just some sort of social construct. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches really clearly that it is sex that is God-given, that we are equal, but that we are different. And thirdly, I want you to see that age makes a difference. Age makes a difference. I remember going to preach in a small church, and there was uh, maybe around eight people in the congregation that day. And um, as I looked out, I realized that apart from the minister and myself, everyone was in the older category. I'd say 60 would have been a conservative estimate. Maybe realistically, most people were 80 plus. And as I thought about the applications in my passage, I thought, these will not work because these people are at a different stage in life. And I actually think if Paul had been there, he would have done the same. Why? Because Paul recognizes that age really does make a difference. It really makes a difference as to what stage you are in your life, as to what you might need to hear. Now, there's some overlap, absolutely, just like there's overlap within uh, the teaching that he gives to the different sexes. But whether you're 18 or 78 does actually make a difference. So what does Paul have to say to the older men? Well, Look with me at verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and steadfastness. First question that maybe is on your mind is, well, somewhat delicate. Who really is an older man? If I was to ask you today to raise your hand, if you think you fit into the older men category, I wonder, would you put your hand up? Uh, I'll, I'll straight up there, yeah, yeah. Um, Thankfully, Al gets to ask the ladies that next week, so <laughs> he gets to do that. Well, actually, as a phrase in the Bible, it it's, doesn't come up very often. It only appears two other times. One is used to speak of Zechariah in Luke 1, and you probably know the story. Zechariah is told by an angel that he and Elizabeth are going to have a baby, and his response is this, "'How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years.'" Now, the the other place that we see it is in the book of Philemon. This time, Paul speaks of himself, and he says that he's an old man. And scholars reckon he's around 60, okay? So I don't know if that helps you. Maybe some of you thought you were not in the older men category, and now you are. And maybe some of you thought you were in the older men category, and maybe now you're thinking, oh, I've got a few years yet before that's me. But hear this, right? You will not somehow suddenly wake up as an old man and be godly If you have not put in place a strategy to end up as a godly older man, it won't just happen. Without being a younger godly man, you're not going to end up being a godly older man and aiming towards that. You see, the older men in the church, they're supposed to stand out in a really positive way. They're like a mature cheese. We should notice them as different because of how they live. These men are to have learned how to be sober-minded show self-restraint, these men are to be dignified. They're to be worthy of respect, and that doesn't just happen. You can't just click your fingers and say, "Well, I'm worthy of respect." It comes through involvement in people's lives, doesn't it? Tried and tested. That's how you gain respect. These men are to be self-controlled. They're no longer to be led by their uh, passions in the same way that they they might have done when they were in their youth. And then notice that they're to be sound in faith, in love. And in steadfastness. And actually, if we kind of split these up into three things, we see that it's really about relationships, isn't it? Firstly, faith. It's talking about their relationship with God. They should have a mature Christian faith. You know, whenever they pray at the prayer meeting, you should recognize their closeness of their walk with God. They're probably going to be at the prayer meeting too. When it comes to God's word, they should have a good grasp of what God actually says in it. They're to be sound in faith. Secondly then, love. And here we're thinking about relationships in terms of relationships with each other. And the older men are to be known for their love of the congregation. They're to be known of the, the love of the, of the community outside. They're to love their neighbor as themselves. They're to sacrificially lay down their life for others. They're to die to self. And thirdly then, steadfastness. And here is it not speaking about endurance, for the sake of those relationships. Endurance in the midst of persecution for your faith. Endurance amidst the midst the painful reality that can come in relationships with others. As Paul has a message for older men, this is his big hitters. This is the message that he thinks older men need to hear. It's what older men needed to hear in the church in the island of Crete. But it's also what older men need to hear today. Now, if we jump down to verse 6, we'll see that Paul also has a message for younger men. Who here thinks that they are younger men? <laughs> not sure. Verse six, well, likewise urge younger men to be self-controlled. I'm not very good at multitasking. You can chat to my wife, Vicky and ask her about that. She uh, might give me a task uh, in the kitchen, for example. Not very often, but sometimes you find me there. And then I start to, to chat, okay? And whatever I'm focused on, doesn't happen because I just get distracted with chatting. I'm not very good at multitasking. Maybe you struggle with that as well if, if you're a younger man. And, and maybe Paul actually gives us some encouragement here this morning because when it comes to his advice, his teaching, he just gives one message to younger men, okay? So we don't have to think about lots of different stuff. It's just one thing, and that is to be self controlled. Self control actually pops up all over Paul's instructions to the church wonder, did you notice that? If you remember back to the teaching on elders in chapter 1, verse 8, it's one of the traits that are needed to be an elder. We met it in the instructions for older men there in verse 5. We see it for younger women as well. And then if we jump ahead in, in chapter 2, verse 12, we, we see it again. Self-control is to be the mark of every Christian. It's to be the mark of, of God's people. Self-control is central to the Christian faith. But it's especially to be the focus of young men, especially to be the focus of young men. Younger men are to focus on learning to control themselves, their thoughts, their tongue, their temper, their ambition, their sexual appetite, their drinking, their eating, their use of time. See, although it might seem like a a narrow focus, younger men, all you have to do is focus on on self-control. Actually, if we realize it, self-control encompasses all of your life. If you've mastered self-control, you've really mastered yourself. They're not to be impulsive, but rather they're to exercise restraints. They're not to be influenced by everything that comes along, but rather they're to be discerning about what they read and what they watch. Their actions are not to be driven by personal feelings, but rather the principles that they've known from God's word. Rather than being fretful and anxious, they're to be prayerful and trusting God. They're to talk much less and they're to listen much more. Rather than saying the first thing that comes to mind, they're to be careful with their tongue. Rather than being wasteful and foolish, they're to be wise stewards rather than being unpredictable and moody, they're to be consistent and level-headed. And so for those of us who are young men, don't we have work to do? Don't we have work to do? This is, this is not easy. And so we need to be encouraged. We need to, to hold each other accountable. We need to walk alongside each other on the journey. Isn't that why Paul says to Titus, them or encourage them and hopefully men that's your experience here within this congregation whether it's in the formal teaching that takes place or whether it's in the side-by-sideness of walking together as part of a church uh, family we need to be encouraged and we're not meant to walk this alone verse 7 and notice now that we jump back to a message directed once again At Titus says this, show yourself, Titus, in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Paul now jumps back, and it's a message for ministers, but it's a message that a congregation also need to hear. In other words, Titus, you're to be a player coach a player coach. You're to model what it is that you teach. Titus is to be the model minister, both in action and in word, a model of good works. And so we see that for Titus, it wasn't enough just to teach sound doctrine. Teaching sound doctrine is a really good thing, right? But it's not enough. He needed to live it out as well. Show yourself in all respects to be a model. A model of what? Good works. Good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So Titus needed to to teach what accords with sound doctrine. I think we've got that. But he also needed to teach the truth in in such a way that had integrity. He wasn't to to do it in some sort of flippant manner. How he actually delivered the message was was really important. If you, if. If you were up here and you were talking about how those who do not follow Jesus are going to end up in hell, but you were making a, a laugh or a joke about it, that, that, that just wouldn't match up. You wouldn't be doing it with integrity, would you? So how, how he actually delivered his message, that was important, but also his perceived character was important. What he says is important, yes. How he says it, that's important, but also his perceived character if you know the minister and outside of the pulpit the minister is foul-mouthed, if you know that outside of the, the pulpit the minister is a cheat and a liar, you wouldn't trust him with, with anything, you're not going to listen to what he says, are you? Absolutely not. And so it was important what he said, it was important how he said it, but also it was important that his character was in line with it. That's what's Titus was to do. And what was the reason? Well, we see it in the second half of verse 8. Don't wait. Look with me. So that an opponent may be put to shame, not having anything evil to say about us. You see, for the Christians, what you say actually makes a difference. Absolutely. But if you say it in a way that matches what you're saying well, that's important too. But if your your life actually matches what it is you're saying and how you say it, well, then there is great power with that because it silences those who watch on and who oppose it. Because what can they really say? What can they really say if they look at what you say about your Christian faith, if they see how you say it in a loving manner and then you actually live it out? What can they say to you? It's really powerful. It speaks, isn't it? In fact, you have to wonder if this is how Paul envisages Titus to to silence the empty talkers and the deceivers of chapter 1. Look back up. Chapter 1, verse 11. We're told that they must be silenced. They must be silenced. And then here in in, in chapter 2, verse 8, they will have nothing to say. They'll have nothing to say. Maybe you're here and you're an older man. Maybe you're here and you're a younger man. Maybe you're here and you're a minister, a pastor like Titus. And you hear what you're to do. You're, you hear how you're supposed to live, live out your life. And you think, how, how am I going to do this? How am I possibly going to match up with what I'm called to do? How can I live it? We'll flick forward to chapter 2, verse 11, because this is what gives us great hope this morning. We don't just have to try harder with all of our inner might. Now, verse 11 reminds us, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We can only do this because of the grace of God. It's only because of God's grace at work in us that makes this Possible. It's through the grace of God in your life that has brought you from, from death to life in the first place. And it's only by the power of His Spirit within you that enables you to be able to live in the way that He calls you to. But we can do it. Why can we do it? Only because of Christ and His work in us. That's how sanctification takes place, that's how change takes place. It's God's work in us. And because this God has brought us to new life, we can be sure that he will keep working in us, making us more and more like Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, might those who are called to minister the word do so in such a way that they teach sound doctrine where their lives match the doctrine of which they speak. Lord, for older men, might they exhibit the characteristics of godly men, mature believers through which endurance and faith and love has been molded over time. Lord, for younger men, might increasing self-control mark their lives as they set out with the longing to one day be godly older men. And for the rest of the congregation, might we each seek to sit under sound doctrine, might we strive to be obedient to it, and might we seek to encourage those who have been called to set it forth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.